Hey there, everybody. It's Kevin once again because we are back to the re-release of The Russia Hoax. And this is the final pre-recorded from the past edition you will get from The Russia Hoax. It is, in fact, the last pre-recorded show that we have. We have been through all of the old book reviews re-released now for the new show, which means that next week uh, you'll get a brand new episode of Ben Shapiro's The Right Side of History, and the following week, we will be back to finish this book, Greg Jarrett's The Russia Hoax. I am super excited to finally get through this thing. It's been sitting on my bookshelf for a long time, and I guess given the fact that the election is coming up on Tuesday, it could not be more apropos. So like I said, yeah, the election is next week. If you have not already sent in a ballot, or if you're going to vote in person, vote. Uh, I cannot say it enough. That is the most important thing you can possibly do right now. It's up to all of us to get rid of Donald Trump so we can move on and hopefully repair some of the damage that he's done. Sorry again to our patrons for not getting this to you um, too terribly early on the early release. I know you have this coming out to you on Tuesday night. I try to get them out on Tuesday mornings for your early release, but I had a very busy weekend and just wasn't able to scrounge up the time to get it all together. That's it for all of the uh, housekeeping this week. I hope you enjoy the show, and we'll see you next week with a brand new episode. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the Can Eat More. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Patrons, and welcome to your patron-only bonus episode for the week of, oh, shit, um, Sunday was last month, so I guess, I guess the first, April 1st? April uh, Fool's! Seems weird. No patron app it today. It seems weird. Sorry. It seems weird to say that it's the week of, of, uh, March 31st, was it 31st? Yeah. 31 yeah. days yeah. in March? Yeah. I don't remember. 30 days have when September, April, April, June, now. and November. All the rest have 31. Save for oh, February, never which that. has 28 for some fucking reason, and then sometimes decides <laughs> to throw 29 in. I don't know if that's how the actual yes. rhyme ends, but it's something along those lines. Uh, something believe. tells me you're a little off on the rhymes, the rhyme there. Anyways, welcome to your patron-only bonus episode. I know we didn't have one last in week. In other words, welcome uh, to hell, because we're doing a fucking book. <laughs> Uh, uh, yes, this is your patron-only bonus chapter of our book review of The Russia Hoax. We are having uh, chapter six this week for you guys only, only. This is how special you are to us, because this chapter goes off the damn rails, and uh, I'm I'm pretty excited I'm about not, it. but here <laughs> I am. Before we start, before we start, though, uh, I did want to say, uh, Benedict, uh, the argument we had last night, I am correct, you were posting food pictures from a restaurant you were at. I was posting pictures of fresh baked bread, which I made myself by my hands in my own made. home. The baguettes had not even been made. Yeah, I posted a before and after picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. I Still can't food. believe this. You said food. Yeah, and then you and then you drunk text me I from wasn't a drunk. play last night. I wasn't night. drunk. I was just belligerent. 
<laughs> you don't need to be drunk to be belligerent. That's 100% true. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, um, if you missed, yes, I have been baking my own fresh bread, and I have to say it's worth it just to make the house smell like that. We made I would do naan it. bread last last week. Oh, I would I would do it every single day just to have that smell around. Yeah, you also but... it's like the, the the fucking whenever you put it in the bowl to proof and it rises oh. up and it's it's, and then it's you like grab some it with your hands? alien motherfucker. Just no. like... okay, the feeling the feeling of the dough after the first rise in your hands when you're just folding it around and stuff is like I could just play with that dough. Like I don't even need to cook it. I could just have a lump of that dough to keep on my desk and play around with. Yes, basically. Yeah. Is that? Oh, maybe that's where play doh came I, from. Maybe I, I that was it, the idea. I think it is. I think that's it. Like I know play doh isn't bread dough, but maybe that's like where the idea. I think it is. is. It? What the I hell is play doh? I think it is. I think it's dough. I now of some wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now wondering what the hell is play doh, and I have to Google this before because I'm trying to delay as long as I can. Uh, before we start this book chapter, yeah. just to extend, extend uh, Benedict's... Uh, oh, you are right. Misery is the word I was going to say a little bit. It is composed of flour, water, salt, borax, and mineral oil. Yeah, so, so actual dough. That probably explains... Say, uh, it's probably It's got to be a ton of salt, right? Because we all, as a kid, like took a bite out of some Play-Doh and then went, oh, I'm never doing that <laughs> That <again."> is disgusting. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> but yes, it is. It is, in fact, basically bread dough. It's a little stiffer, though, yeah. than uh, than your typical bread dough. Yeah, you can't leave Anyways, it. There's no yeast in it. It doesn't rise for you. It yeah, never rise yeah. for you. So why don't we get into we uh, this week's chapter of The Russia Hoax. This is chapter six. It is entitled The Fabricated Dossier, dossier in scare quotes, used against Trump. Do you have an alternate chapter title? I do, yeah. So I, I, I have the, uh, the uh, kind of uh, completely accurate dossier against Donald <laughs> Trump, I guess. I don't know. I don't know about completely accurate. No, some of it's sensationalist uh, bollocks, but you know, whatever. Yeah. If he's allowed to editorialize, then so will I. <laughs> uh, I had two. I had two alternate chapter titles this week. Uh, one was, it doesn't count if you didn't believe he was innocent after you found out he wasn't. Uh <laughs> And my other alternate chapter title was, and this one's just meta about this chapter, maybe they won't notice how bad my sources are because nobody's ever heard of these people. Yeah, that's true. He uses some of the worst sources he's used so far in this book. And he's used some bad ones, folks. He's used some bad ones. His sources are basically like, a guy wrote an op-ed. Don't ask who he is. Like, he Uh, he said some crazy things. Don't ask. Don't ask about the crazy. Just stick to that. Don't ask about the crazy stuff he said. Because I don't want to talk about that part. Anyways, we start this chapter off uh, with our usual random quote from someone. This quote is, Apart from the Constitution, the government ought not to use evidence obtained and only obtainable by a criminal act. Okay. That is from... Couple questions. <laughs> a, this the the dossier wasn't a criminal act, right? As far as no. I'm aware. No, absolutely Secondly, not. Secondly, what is the apart from the Constitution? Is that some legalese that I'm not getting? Because that implies to me, like... Uh, the Constitution obviously isn't a legal act, <laughs> or, or like all of the Constitution was a criminal act. Well, the the idea behind that little phrase there is that things that are allowable by the Constitution, even if they would be a criminal act otherwise, right? That's that's the exception he's putting Got in there, it. right? So spying, you know, spying, uh, uh, sort of sur- surveillance type issues, right? Things that would be legal if you get a warrant, but wouldn't be otherwise. 
Got right? it. That's what he's referring to. Because the case that, that that quote comes from is Olmstead v. United States, which was a case about phone tapping, right? So the, the uh, majority in that case held that the Fourth Amendment does not cover phone tapping. When was Oliver uh, Wendell Holmes a judge tell? Oliver Wendell Holmes? I don't remember when Holmes retired. I thought he was retired. like the, the turn of the 20th century. Who was tapping phones no. at the turn of the 20th no, century? No, no, no. Oliver Wendell Holmes is one of the great Supreme Court justices no, I know. of all time. He's the crowded fire, the child's fire in a crowded theater guy, right? Right, right, yeah. yes. But I and, thought that and was... a number of other things. Yes, that, that is who Oliver Wendell Holmes is. pretty early, though. Yeah, he died in 1935, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. Like, who's tapping mm-hmm. phones in the 1930s? Well, they had phones, <laughs> and know, they, you know, the they figured out that we can tap them, yeah. and they wanted to do it, damn it. I guess. All right, well, whatever. <laughs> Oliver Wendell Holmes defending your rights, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, yes. can we jump into... This is the funniest first paragraph I have ever heard. Oh, yes. From a room. Oh, can, yes, may, I agree. may I? May I? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Everything the Central Intelligence Agency does is cloaked in secrecy and stealth. Subversion <laughs> is a proficiency. Duplicity is second nature. Against this hushed backdrop, it is not easy to uncover John Brennan's machinations while he was President Obama's CIA chief. <laughs> Mad. And the this great is thing- a Republican person. <laughs> we love right. our cops, folks. We love them. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Right. The the great thing about that paragraph is it cuts so hard against everything he's going to talk about for the next eight or nine pages, right? Trying to say, he's, because remember, the snowball of inferences, everything he claims is an inference. He doesn't have any hard facts about anything, but we don't know what happens in the CIA. So So that must mean that that what I claim is what's happening. Since you said that, I've started underlining every time he says may or seems to. And there are a lot. There are really a lot. Almost every claim he he makes is starts off as a may or a ought or a, a could be statement and eventually turns into truth. That's just how he does it. Uh, and so we start off, yes, claiming that John Brennan did more than anyone to promulgate the dirty dossier, politicizing it and using it as a weapon at, against Donald Trump. We we asked the question, or, or he asked the question, Jared asked the question, what exactly did Brennan do when he learned of the dossier? And then, uh, you're going to love this, Benedict, he allegedly yep. gave the information contained therein to the FBI Who and Democrats. Who alleges? Capitol. Who is alleging? Oh, a crazy person. Yeah. A crazy person. I, I, look, I tried to look up some of the claims in this chapter, right? And it repeatedly, over and over again, when I would try and Google these things, it came to places like the fucking, uh, 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 you know, uh, Washington Examiner and PJ Media and all these absolutely insane right-wing conspiracy yeah. websites that are twisting something that someone said to try and make it seem like absolutely yeah. something else. That's also the bit that is, I mean, again, like, I don't, I don't remember how long ago this was published, but, like, he also began telling top members of Congress of his, quote, information indicating that Russia was working to help elect Donald J. Trump president. Whether you believe Trump colluded or not, or whether that comes out eventually, that bit is demonstrably true that Russia right. was working to help elect Donald Trump president. Jarrett admitted that in the early part of this book, right? He he tried to stay ambiguous and say they interfered, but we know that they interfered to help Donald yeah. Trump. 
Exactly. Right. So, again, again, completely cuts against his entire point. He will never, in this book, as far as I can tell, deal with that issue, the fact that Russia was on Trump's side. Yeah, no, that's true. So we get another, another statement. Unanswered is whether Brennan ever took any steps to verify the contents of the dossier Unanswered or affirm you, its authenticity. Greg. Right. But, but I, I, my counterpoint to that is, well, that's why I think, just maybe... He turned it over to the FBI to investigate. Does yeah, that not seem that, to make perfect sense? That seems sense? to make perfect sense to me. <laughs> because uh, the CIA we... is not allowed to operate within the United States. Is that right? Right. Or have I made that up? That is, that is correct. Okay. That is correct. Yes. Uh, so uh, if Brennan studied the dossier, Jarrett says, he would have inexorably concluded the document was worthless. Why? Why? Uh, because, because, as he's going to state multiple times throughout this chapter, any reasonable person would say it's all fake. It's all fake. It's all garbage. It's I, I all love Democrat like, libtard lies. I love it when he's like, there are many demonstrably false claims in this dossier. Like, oh, really? What are those? Put them on paper. Put them on paper. What about see. the demonstrably true ones? Yeah. What about the demonstrably true also, ones? Also, I love it that he's too embarrassed to talk about the P-tape. Yes, like I know. Many, he uses many scandalous and demonstrably <laughs> false cl- claims. Like, yeah, we know. We know what you're saying. Right. So then we're we're about to start talking about where the dossier came again, from. Again. Again. Right. It, it, I know. It was paid for by the Democrats and the Clinton <laughs> campaign. No, yes, it was, but not originally. It was begun <laughs> by Jeb Bush. Again, how many times do we have to fucking say this? Right. Right, so yes, he starts off making that claim that it was started by by the Clint the Clintons. Well, he never says right? he started because we know it. the Democrats he, he, are the Clintons. He does that legal writing bullshit of oh the Clintons contributed <laughs> money towards this, which yes mm-hmm. they did, but that's not what they did not have the idea for this. Right, but he also claims quote the material was not derived from public documents or voting records as most opposition research originates. Instead, it seemed to have been dreamed up and then prepared by pro Clinton and anti Trump forces notably Brennan among them. Again, John Brennan had no involvement in creating the dossier. That was Christopher Steele, right? And as you mentioned, yes, this was started, and and we, we have been saying Jeb Bush, right? It was started on behalf of Jeb Bush and paid for by the Washington Free Beacon, which is a a fake website, a fake journalism website, right? Funded by Republican mega-donor Paul Singer, Mm -hmm. who was a Jeb Bush backer. Yep. So that is the original origins of this opposition research it is true christopher Steele himself didn't start working for fusion gps until after it was handed over to the dnc by paul singer who started this whole work right so that's where this all comes from but again he's never going to deal with the fact that this was all started by republicans because even they at a time realized donald trump was the threat to america that he is Mm -hmm. So we get next some, and I just classify this as absolutely unverifiable speculation. Yep. That's what I have. We uh, have uh, more must-have-knowns and almost certainly contained and all those. Yes, because what we get is there's no evidence. There's no evidence, right, that Brennan knew anything about this dossier, right, knew, uh, knew the reliability of the dossier. But Jarrett claims, yet the evidence suggests that he advocated the use of the dubious document to damage Trump. Now... Where this becomes an absolutely unverified claim is he's citing Stephen Cohen, professor emeritus of Russian studies at NYU and Princeton, and what he said on a radio show. That's his entire quote. That's his entire quote, and Stephen Cohen is just a right-wing hack who has no information on this other than speculation. That's all this is. 
Yeah, and he wrote for the Nation though. The Nation's a left wing paper that's in, it, admittedly Russophile. Mm-hmm. So right, to see that. right. But the the next the next quote we get after his quote, which I'm not going to read, it's too long, is from James Callstrom, who once served as assistant director of the FBI, speaking about Brennan. My sources tell me Brennan was leaking almost weekly or daily. Unverified, uh, unnamed sources. I know Republicans yep. love those. Uh, and then ends that quote with, I think it goes right to the top. And that's the source of this next sentence, which is, the top, of course, means President Obama. Because we all know Obama was really the mastermind. Oh, wait, it was Clinton. Oh, wait, Jarrett can't make up his no. mind it, about you, who is responsible stopped, for any of this. You stopped before there. Who received constant foreign policy briefings from his CIA director? My only note there is, unlike Trump, who refuses to listen to his security <laughs> briefings. This is also true. This much is also true. Uh, so we move on a little bit in the chapter. And we get some, what I can only describe as, uh, I don't know, Twitter-level arguing. And it literally, it's from a Twitter quote. Uh, he claims, he claims that all this, the, the investigation into Donald Trump appears to have been orchestrated by Brennan, again, no support for that, mm-hmm. whose enmity towards Trump has he has not tried to conceal in his comments and tweets since Election Day. And then he quotes a Brennan tweet. And then to back that up, he, he then quotes Samantha Power. Uh, and he says, Consider the ominous warning issued by Obama's United Nations Ambassador Samantha Power. Not a good idea to piss off John Brennan. I mean, um, it's probably that, not a good idea to piss off the director of the CIA. Just right, generally. But, but I, I wouldn't want Jarrett... to piss off the director of the CIA, would you? <laughs> no, but here's the thing. I love that Jarrett doesn't tell us where that quote comes from. Yeah. Um, that was a response to Brennan's tweet about the venality, moral turpitude, and political corruption of Donald Trump. It was a Twitter response after John Brennan was out of the CIA director's office. That's where that comes from. Awesome. Great. So the snowball moves on with this quote. It is reasonable to conclude, therefore, that the Russia collusion hoax began when Brennan seized upon the dossier to wreak havoc on the Trump campaign. Again, that is how this snowball works. We've gotten a lot of unverified bullshit throughout this chapter, and now it is reasonable to conclude. We conclude, and no backing for any of it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And then there's another claim in here, uh, another claim which I, I did take the time to look up, that Brennan met with exclusively Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid in August 2016, uh, supposedly about the report. And the only places I have been able to find anything about that are, again, right-wing websites. The Washington Examiner, PJ Media, all these these just stupid websites that y- you can't trust. Honestly, like maybe if, if they said 2 plus 2 equals 4, I wouldn't argue with them. But again... These websites, these right-wing websites that have been so into backing Donald Trump, I just, I can't believe the things they're saying, especially when no other sources are citing that same information or making those same claims. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we get to the next subsection of, the, the first subsection, rather, of this chapter, which is called The Phony Dossier. Uh, I don't know why, he already, the chapter is called The Fabricated Dossier, he had to have a subsection called the phony dossier. Yeah, I guess that's sense. just a lack of creativity. Yeah. But the first the first sentence here, uh, I wrote, I don't know what font size, but I, I, I would guess like 58 size font uh, in the margins all around this first quote from this subsection, blatant lie, Jeb, 
exclamation so, point, yeah. exclamation I, point, I underlined, exclamation point. I underlined began, I underlined in earnest because, uh-huh. again, that's that weaselly language, began in earnest. So you can avoid right. saying when it actually began and who right. so the, 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 it began with. <laughs> the quote is, the origins of the anti-Trump dossier. Again, why is dossier in scare quotes? Well, I don't get because that. the, I think the reason is he sees it as like, it was like 18 memos or something. Mm-hmm. So it's not a proper dossier because it, it was a compiled... It was memos that weren't all published at the same time, and they were later compiled into a collection. All right, fine. But the origins of the dossier began in earnest in April 2016, when Mark Elias, the attorney of record for both the Clinton presidential campaign and the Democratic National Committee, hired a company called Fusion GPS to develop negative information on Trump, of which we all know they were outrageously successful. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> because Because here's the thing that people don't remember, right? It wasn't just the dossier that came out of that that research. It was all the other terrible things that Donald Trump has done throughout his entire life, right? We have gotten all of that. Uh, a lot of that came from opposition research of one form yep. or another. So, like, I, I don't understand the, oh, obviously it's all fake. Huh? And, and we're going to get to a part in here where th- something that really annoys me. Uh, Jarrett keeps conflating trial evidentiary rules with, investigations, right, Mm -hmm. and trying to, all this other stuff. And that that really annoys me, but we're going to get to that a little later. So he says, quote, about Christopher Steele, perhaps Steele thought that his documents in the hands of the FBI and later the media would prevent the Republican candidate from gaining the presidency. This, of course, would surely ingratiate him to his financial benefactors, like the Clintons or the fucking Medici's. I don't – that's a, another weird claim to me that Christopher Steele somehow is trying to, like, cozy up to the Clintons when he was a guy hired and played paid a flat rate to do a job. Yeah, they'd already paid him. It's not like, oh, right. I'm not going to get a bonus if Trump doesn't get elected. Like, that's not the vibe. Right. And then he, he makes this, this other little statement right here that I also wanted to mention. It doesn't really matter to this, the chapter, but this just made me laugh. It's obvious why the Clinton campaign wanted to trash Trump with any dirt, however real or imagined, that it could dig up. The expected Democratic nominee was facing a legitimate challenger for the presidency. And just that legitimate challenger line irks me just a little bit because Donald Trump really isn't and never has been legitimate in any sense of the word, any sense of the word whatsoever. I agree. But then we get this claim, and I mentioned this earlier on, any intelligent person with an ounce of skepticism would have quickly dismissed the contents of the dossier as nothing more than a collection of unsubstantiated and far-fetched assertions cobbled together by someone with a motive to smear Trump by inventing the equivalent of sordid fairy tales. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is, like, when you call the police with a tip, they tend to investigate. Like, if it's a feasible mm-hmm. tip, they'll be mm-hmm. like, oh, we should check that out, which is exactly what this is. <laughs> right, right. And the thing is, the claims in the dossier, which he lists some of them here, they are. They are very, there's veracity in them. They sound entirely plausible because of who Donald Trump is. And, of course, we've later found out all this information about money laundering by Russian mafia through Donald Trump properties and all this sort of stuff, which we now know that the FBI and people knew about at the time when they were investigating. Like, this sort of stuff is the other information that backs up the information in the dossier that makes you want to investigate further. So just a few of the claims from the dossier that uh, Jarrett lists, starting off with, Russia had been cultivating Trump as a political asset for many years. 
Trump and Russia were exchanging intelligence with each other for eight years. Russia had been suborning his candidacy for at least five years. Russia has been feeding Trump valuable intelligence on Clinton. Trump was favored by Russia with lucrative real estate deals. Trump's lawyer met secretly in Prague with a Kremlin official. Carter Page met secretly in Moscow with two Russian officials. Page and Paul Manafort were intermediaries in the Trump-Russia conspiracy. Uh. Trump agreed to sideline... That one's... That one's almost verified. That one is almost verified, I am saying. And Trump defiled a hotel bed in Moscow where he knew the Obamas had slept. That's where... That's the pizza. You're right. Yes. He can't can't even go as far as to say, because he knows... The, uh, the grandma who buys also, his books. Also, the thing is, Trump defiled it. That sounds way worse than a... P- that sounds like he shat <laughs> on it. Like <coughs> That is true. I, I, I don't know, Mike. You could clean shit off a bed. Yeah, it's much true. harder. It's much, much harder with piss. Uh, I, just have to, I just have to mention. So, of those things that he lists, the thing is, like, most of those sound incredibly plausible. I don't know about you, but for me, those sound incredibly plausible. Yeah, it's another one of those, like, none of this was ever proven. (laughs) Right. But we then get uh, his expert, Jarrett's expert on the dossier, Paul Roderick Gregory, who he says studied the dossier within days of it becoming public. And this is the quote about Roderick. So we just believe this lad, though. Like, like, this, this guy is the guy with the correct take. Exactly, exactly. He is considered an expert on Russia and the Soviet Union, having visited there close to a hundred times dating back to the 1960s and having written several books. Great, great. The, uh, Paul Roger Gregory is an economics professor at Houston University. He can't even work for Texas, right? He can't even work for UT. He doesn't even work for the University of Texas, the real University okay, of also, Texas. Okay, also, what are his books about? Are they just about economics? I don't know. I don't. I didn't bother to look on his look Wikipedia. Right his Wikipedia page is so small. I didn't bother to take the time. Uh, but yes, the thing that Gregory called into question about the dossier. Here's the the second part of that paragraph. Gregory opined that the author's use of words like trusted compatriots to identify his anonymous sources plus other telltale signs within the composition, convinced him that the dossier was actually compiled by a Russian determined to invent a collection of lies for the purpose of creating mischief. So we get now the conspiracy theory that Christopher Steele didn't actually create the dossier. Yeah, this is weird. It's it like, was a Russian. really hedging it. Paul Roderick Gregory has written about the, uh, basically, like, the economics of Soviet stuff. So Right. I guess kind of. So I guess he's an expert on linguistics and whether someone who wrote a document is actually the person who wrote it or not. Yeah. Is that is that what we're going... He's not... This is what I'm talking about at the beginning of the, the chapter where he uses the worst sources possible, right? Because literally this guy, Paul Roger Gregory, all he did was like he had one guest spot on Tucker Carlson and published an op-ed. That's where this comes from. This is the worst sources you could possibly imagine. And it's this crazy conspiracy theory that, again, after Jarrett has spent five pages shitting on Christopher Steele and how biased he is, then saying, well, he didn't really write the dossier. It was some yeah, Russian. Yeah, really did weird. Re- just really very odd. And, and the evidence offered is not, it's just weird. It's just like, oh. There's he, no evidence offered. What, doesn't he use his. He used the word trusted compatriots yeah, in the dossier. Yeah. That's the evidence. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Also, so now also we... there are so many, like, 
in truth, there was little that was intelligent about the so-called intelligence. It's just like, boo! <laughs> yeah, that's just lazy. That's just lazy writing. So now we get into uh, Michael Cohen and the accusations that fun. he went to <laughs> that he went to Prague and write because I know that at this point he's really wishing he could go back and grab all of his books off of the shelves we, and rip out this page. Can we just also, I mean, he may not have gone to Prague still, but can we just like light a candle and remember that Michael Cohen tweeted, I have never been to Prague, see? And then tweeted a picture of his closed <laughs> passport. <laughs> I know that proves it. Well done. uh, And and right, that is especially stupid given that Paul Manafort, right? We found out about the multiple, you know, the the fake uh, passports that Paul Manafort had and traveling incognito and other things like that. Like it's it's really not that hard if you have that level of money. Your visas don't go on the outside. Nobody writes Czech Republic on the outside. Right. Right. But he he quotes Cohen, who said, quote, I'm telling you emphatically that I've not been to Prague. I've never been to the Czech Republic. I've not been to Russia. The story is completely inaccurate and it is fake news meant to malign Mr. Trump. I just whenever we read these books now and someone quotes Michael Cohen or any of the other people who have flipped, it's always it's a little moment of joy for all of us. Right. It feels so good. But that leads into the next sentence, which is what I talked about a little earlier. Well, he says, quote, Lawyers are taught and jurors are instructed that if a witness lies about one part of his testimony, it may be concluded that all of his testimony is untrue. And so it was with the dossier, but more so. No. And again, this is this is trying to convince everyone that the standard for everything should be trial evidentiary procedure, which it is not, right? All the there are tons of places in the law where I can point to you where the standard for investigations or whatever the case may be, is so much lower than what it would take to get it into court, right? Most of the things police bring up in an investigation, they are not allowed to take into court because it doesn't pass the evidentiary muster, right? But they still use them for the investigation. That's where that reasonable standard I talked about last week, the reasonable suspicion and all those, nobody knows what those mean. If you can convince a judge that it was reasonable, then it's reasonable. And it is an incredibly low standard. It really is. The, some of the cases on that are just crazy. So then he, qu- then he quotes Bob Woodward, calling him, actually calling Bob Woodward a discerning journalist, which again, I think this book came out before Bob Woodward's book about the White House came out. So I think that's another one of those things that he would want to go and take back now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I, I think I'm going to give me one sec. When was okay. this published? I'll keep talking. I'll keep talking I'm, while you do your research I'm just, here. I'm just looking to see when it was published. Hold on. Because the next subsection. It was published in 2018. Oh, so God. Like, this, this, this shit should have all been known. Maybe he wrote that chapter before Bob Woodward's book Maybe. was published and just never went back. Maybe. I don't know. But the next subsection of this chapter is called Carter Page and the Scare Quotes Dossier. Because Carter Page. Oh, God. I, I don't know why. This is your book. You don't have to bring up Carter Page. No, yeah. Your people will never know about him. Readers of your book won't remember who he is unless you bring him up. Yeah. You didn't this have to This is like when that. Dinesh was like, I'm going to interview Richard Spencer to prove how different <laughs> we are. And then it didn't happen. Uh, by the way, I don't know uh, if I mentioned this already, but uh, God Awful Movies did a review of uh, Dinesh's movie that we did. Uh, I think ours is better, but you, you can tweet at that. Eli Bosnick and tell him that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you're right. You're right. It, it is remarkably similar. But again, he starts this off with a great sentence. Carter Page played a minor role in the Trump campaign. Always <laughs> Donald Trump played that. a minor role in the Trump campaign. 
Uh, that part might actually be accurate. I don't know. Uh, but we get this this indication. He says, quote, there is no indication the candidate knew Page, and in fact the advisor, if he could even be called that, informed Congress I've never spoken with him at any time in my life. He also makes the claim that Donald Page was not there at the single meeting of the Foreign Affairs Council for the campaign that was done in the presence of Donald Trump. Okay, so where does the picture that everyone was laughingly passing around on social media of Carter Page sitting at a table with Donald Trump come from? Yeah, where I mean, was this that? is like the George Papadipadu. Papadipolopoulos? Yeah, Papadipolopoulos. Papadipolopoulos. It's like that. Right? Side note here. Side note here. I just had to throw, I was thinking about this earlier today because uh, I was just sitting uh, cleaning and, and watching the news. And uh, uh, do you think that Pete Buttigieg uh, gets like an extra support bonus because his name is so fun to say? It's, it's do you think not, there's a quotient of that? It's boot edge edge. <laughs> Bo- booty judge? Is it booty no, judge? I, that'd be I always even say it as booty judge. Booty judge? Which is booty judge? Bo- I, booty I'm going to start calling booty it booty jig. judge now because that's even funner to say. That's even better. Yeah. But yeah, so we get downplaying the hell out of Carter Page and his involvement in the Trump campaign. And of course, he admits that Page was not a fan of Americans, America's foreign policy towards Russia, especially in the Obama era. And of course, we know Russia was not a fan of America's foreign policy no towards shit. Russia, yeah. especially during the Obama era. And Donald Trump was not a fan of America's foreign policy towards Russia, especially in the Obama era. That's why Russia helped Donald Trump. That's right. Sanctions, Magnitsky Act, it's all there. It's all there. So uh, we get Schiff before the we flash cut. Let's call this a flash cut in the book uh, to Schiff uh, before uh, the House uh, Investigative Committee. I don't remember which committee this is. It must have been the Russia Committee. Uh, but we get shitting on Adam Schiff, of course, where he says, nevertheless, in the congressman's warped view, and this is about uh, Page meeting with several people in Russia, the deputy prime minister, among others, this constituted some illicit meaning as he tried to conflate met with meeting. Page what? did his best to explain the difference to Schiff, who seemed unwilling to comprehend or accept the difference. And the, the one-line quote we get from Carter Page is, I did not meet with him. I greeted him briefly as he walked off the stage after his speech. What's that Bill Clinton quote with this? I didn't, uh, is it, uh, I didn't inhale? No, no, that would no, be, no. Uh, it's like... It depends on what the definition of is is. Yeah, that one, uh, that one, that one. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's the same. Well, look, the like, oh, it's, it's, if you like... ignore the context, if you ignore all of the context of everything by this point that we knew about Russia, that we knew about their involvement in the campaign, that we knew about tampering, right? And then Carter Page, right? Carter Page saying to an Australian diplomat that he knew about emails. If you eliminate all that context, then there is some argument to be made about Page, what met meant, whether it was a meeting or he just met him. But when you look at that context, then you have to ask the fucking question. What do you mean by you met him, Carter Page? You dumbass who keeps going on cable TV and making yourself look even worse. It's ridiculous. Good God. These people, man, they just like (laughs) love to do crimes. They just love to do crimes so much. They just love to do the crimes. So we move on and we get more of that, uh, the, the bullshit trial evidence procedure stuff. Uh, where he's talking about how almost all the allegations in the dossier are based on double and even triple hearsay. In other words, somebody told someone who told someone else or who told Steele or whatever the case may be. And he makes this, this claim. Single hearsay is unreliable, which is why it is often inadmissible in a court of law. 
Double hearsay is never allowed. Triple hearsay is a farce. And again, I, I just wish I could make Greg Jarrett actually sit through a criminal procedure class because, yes, that's true. But if he raised his hand and said to the professor, Professor, then why are they allowed to investigate Donald Trump based on things that other people said? <laughs> then the professor would go walk over, walk slowly across the room, slap Greg Jarrett in the face and say, how did you get into law school? I honestly think that would be the case. He also says, right along here, no proof, no proof has emerged in the nearly two years since the FBI has been searching for it to corroborate any of the allegations in the dossier, despite uh, all of the proof that has emerged in the two years to corroborate uh, I the dossier. I finished my book. Time to open the FBI report and take a big sip of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good God. Well, this is, this is uh, about the end of the chapter here. There's not much else here. There's more of the conspiracy theory stuff, you know, uh, claiming it was actually a Russian who wrote the dossier. There's more of Carter Page as an upstanding, fine human being who had nothing to do with Russia and nothing to do with the Trump campaign. Uh, But we end off the chapter, and I will read, as I always do, the final paragraph of this chapter, which is, quote, You'd have to be intolerably ignorant not to recognize the Steele dossier for what it was a politically driven collection of fables designed to defame and discredit Trump. Regardless, once created, it was then appropriated by high government officials at the FBI and DOJ to try to commandeer the election process, defeat Trump, and elevate Clinton. When the odious plot failed to succeed, the conspirators doubled down and sought ways to destroy the new president. And that is, again, uh, I will just mention, that's where the snowball coagulates and everything we've been inferring through this chapter becomes gospel truth. That's Continuing, spying, <laughs> spying on Trump was one of their gambits. It was the kind of government abuse of surveillance powers that Justice Holmes argued against. That is the end of chapter six of the Russia hoax. Was Justice and it Holmes was... on the majority opinion for that case, by the way? No, in the, the case he cites Olmstead, uh, the, the majority opinion ruled that it is okay to surveil without a warrant, <laughs> to, to wiretap with a warrant. Ju- no, no, just, Justice Holmes was in the dissent in that case. He dissented. He was against <laughs> the majority only. So he was, Justice Holmes was saying it's, it's not okay to wiretap Yeah, but that's not what that's went what into <laughs> I know, I know. So the, the next chapter, the next chapter I am pretty excited for. This is it's where we long. get. It's long, it's like it's, 32 pages. Maybe we'll split it in yeah. half. It's going to get crazier from here, people, because this is where we get into straight-up conspiracy bullshit, right? This is the the spying on Donald Trump, the wire-tapping of Trump Tower, all this sort of stuff. That's what this next chapter is. It is called Government Abuse of Surveillance. I am excited for it. I know it's going to be as crazy as we expect because the, the crazy has been slow in ramping up. We got some crazy in the, we got the conspiracy theories that somebody else wrote that we got that kind of stuff, but the crazy is really going to ramp up from here and I am pretty excited about it and I hope you are as well. I I'm not as always. <laughs> but that's And in the final segment this week, Chapter 7 of our book review of Greg Jarrett's The Russia Hoax. uh, Illicit scheme, I always get this backwards, (laughs) to clear Hillary Clinton and flame Donald Trump? Is that the way it goes? That's it. There you go. Okay, I got it. I got it this time. Anyways, this is Chapter 7, titled Government Abuse of Surveillance. 
Do you have you, an alternative chapter title? I have, I have two alternative chapter titles. One is The Man with the Golden FISA Application. <laughs> I, we're going with a spy theme, right? Yeah. Do you want to do your second one or are you good? I was going to let you do one and then I do another one. <laughs> okay, I'll do I, my, my... It's a repartee we have here. <laughs> Mine was The Spy Who Memoed Me. Ah, we, don't, we both did Bond. We both did Bond. <laughs> ah, it's great. Uh, and my last one, my last one. For Comey's eyes only. Yeah! <laughs> we got the trifecta here. That's good. I like Great. that. We're, on, we're simpatico this week. Uh, so the intro quote that we always get at the beginning of this chapter is this week is from Justice William O. Douglas, which is, We are rapidly entering the age of no privacy, where everyone is open to surveillance at all times, where there are no secrets from government. And the part he left off that he approves of is, this would be fine if it was just for people of color. <laughs> I mean, basically, the the case that that's citing from it's uh, it's uh, William O. Douglas's dissent in Osborne of the United States, which was not a wiretapping. It was a guy wearing a wire. It was a, a undercover police officer wearing a wire, uh, investigating someone. So yeah, that's it's part of that whole '60s era, the evolving um, privacy doctrine and things like that. Uh, I mean, fine. It's it's not as entertaining as some of the terrible quotes we've gotten before. No, it's but fine. he starts. <coughs> but he starts off this chapter to convince a judge to issue a warrant to search, seize, or surveil someone. The you government can't seize someone. Also, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You absolutely that... can seize someone. That's oh, is it, what does an that arrest, just mean arrest is. Okay, okay. Yeah, seize seizure. Right. If you seize a person to delay, even to hold someone for a limited period of time is technically a seizure in okay. the law. Yeah. All right. The government must demonstrate that its information is reliable. It must present facts it has gathered that came that come from a credible person. In this case, both the facts and the individual who provided them were untrustworthy. The FBI and DOJ surely knew surely, it. Surely, surely. And I, I will say, like, that is some of the best lawyering he's done in this book. He has presented two things that actually are factors in determining whether you have probable cause for a warrant, which is whether the facts you have uh, the information is reliable and it comes from someone who is credible and that's usually built by the fact that you've gotten credible information from them in the past yep. so that's how you typically determine that mm -hmm. but we start off this chapter this is all going to be about the supposed uh wiretap well actually we're not going to get to the wiretapping of trump tower yet i should mention before we really get into it we have split this chapter in two this week because it is very long and uh, the second half of this chapter is going to be for patrons only over at patreon.com forward slash Kevin and Benedict. So we have another patron-only uh, section of this book review that's coming to you guys. Uh, but this is going to be about the FISA applications to spy, to spy, 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 spy. emphasize that it is spying on Carter Page. And he starts off by claiming that the FBI knew early on that Steele was not a credible source. Which, of course, we know because he established that through inference and rumor in previous chapters that Steele was not a credible source. And so now the snowball is congealing. I love <laughs> my snowball. I love it. Uh, we start off with this one quote right here. This is, this alone should have been enough for the FBI. And this is talking about the fact that it came from Fusion GPS and was paid for through the DNC and the Clinton campaign. Should have been enough for the FBI to disregard Steele and disregard his dossier as lacking reliability as the law demands, which is just, uh, that's the genetic fallacy. That's the genetic fallacy. That's what that is right that, there. I mean, that, that seems like bullshit to me. It, it's, a, it's a logical fallacy. Disregarding yeah. something because of the source. That's what it is. It's just wrong. It's yeah. just wrong. Uh, he also, also, I mean, 
that they're not the source. They're the source of the money. Steel is the source. Right, but because in Jarrett's mind, Donald Trump is innocent, which he knows he's not, but he wants him to be, so he's writing this book to prove that Donald Trump is innocent, even though it's full of bullshit and lies. Uh, the jingly keys. Jingly keys. Money came from <laughs> money came from people that Fox News has told you, Republicans, that you need to hate because they're evil. And so you should hate them, and anything that comes from them is wrong and bad. Did that did I explain it well yeah. enough for you? Okay. Yeah, you're good. So he makes this claim here, which is the sourcing of the dossier was insufficient by American legal standards to establish probable cause. We're going to get into that a little bit more, but I just, uh, he is finally, he is finally in one of these chapters He's trying to set out it. a claim that we can test his evidence against. He finally has. So we can, we can think back to that as we read through this chapter. And now the first subheading we get in this chapter is titled Fusion GPS and Glenn Simpson. Glenn Simpson is apparently the founder of Fusion GPS. Former journalist, too. Yes, and he mentions, Jarrett finally mentions in this chapter that the opposition research began with someone other than the DNC and the Clinton campaign, although Mm -hmm. he bungles it and doesn't actually get to where it's actually coming from. He says a conservative website hired Fusion. Well, no, it was a, a billionaire who funded that conservative website <laughs> that yep. actually funded yep. it. Yep, yep, Jeb Bush's, tied to Jeb Bush's campaign mm-hmm. also. And, and we're also going to, later in this chapter, it's great, we're going to get to where he completely misrepresents the entire way that this happened. The, the, the chain of funding, the way it went down, we'll get to it when we get there, but it's pretty fantastic how he did this. Uh, he continues to talk about the anonymous sources that Steele used, you know, like spies do, yeah. as he is. As, as 100% <laughs> of spies do, because they don't want their sources to literally get killed. Right. But he gets into criticizing Sim- Glenn Simpson, who runs Fusion GPS, for not checking into the information better. And he says, it should have been asked. It should have been asked whether it was accurate. It was reckless and irresponsible not to ask. Specific and detailed information about the origins and methods of soliciting and securing the materials should have been demanded. Sorry, by, by whom? By Glenn Simpson of Fusion GPS, of course. That, that seems weird. It does, it does seem weird because it is weird. <laughs> is this whole document you gave me lies? No? Okay, I believe that. Like, I, <laughs> Chris Steele wasn't going to be under subpoena, like uh, under oath. And also, he wasn't to going to reveal his whether... sources. Yeah. That's well, not. I mean, <laughs> nobody reveals their sources. They just don't. Even a lot of journalists, it. if it's dangerous, don't reveal their sources. Yeah. So we then have a short transcript from Glenn Simpson before the House Investigative Committee when it was run by Republicans. Uh, and this is just a series of them asking, did you verify this information? And him saying no. And I, I just, I, I have this love-hate relationship with how Greg Jarrett has done quotes from various different uh, 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 documents and hearings throughout this book. I hate it. Typically, I exclusively hate it's it. one line with no context. Yep. One line with no context, which I think is it just beautifully displays how his mind works. But yes, it's a terrible way of, of writing a book. It's just awful. So we, we get this uh, final question from that hearing, which is, did you take any steps to try to assess the credibility of Steele's sources in the material that he was providing you? The answer Simpson gave was, yes, but I'm not going to get into sourcing information. <laughs> which then, and then yeah. Jarrett, Jarrett goes into with, perhaps he declined to talk about it because there was no sourcing information. 
Ah, so uh, we're contradicting his on-the-record, under-oath statement yeah. with more inferences. Got him. Got him. Got him. God damn, Jarrett. You really got him there. You really <laughs> got I would love to see Greg Jarrett actually try a case in court. And I, I, I don't think he's ever been in a court of law in his life, and most lawyers don't ever end up in court. They do most of their work doing other stuff, writing contracts or whatever. But I would love to see him just violating every rule of procedure and every single rule of evidence in court. Craig Jarrett would be a fantastically bad trial lawyer. I'm sure of it. It'd be well, great to see. Yeah, and then the next thing he says after that is, it's hard to imagine that Simpson, who did not speak Russian and did not travel to the country while developing his anti-Trump opposition research, would have been in a position to verify Steele's so-called sources, especially since they were anonymous. Okay, they might not have been anonymous to, <laughs> Steele, to, to Simpson, first of all. And also, I didn't realize we were living in the 1800s when telephones didn't exist <laughs> and when no one could get anything translated from one language to another. Oh, well, he doesn't speak Russian. Well, nobody could, in Russia could possibly speak English then. And another thing is that, that, look, Republicans have created this fantasy background for Christopher Steele where he's this unreliable guy who's, you know, he's just terrible. MI6 spy. Right. right, which, you know, not as good as CIA. Whatever, we're better, we're America. But uh, you did have James Bond, though, so okay. I, I guess I have to give you that one. Whatever. Uh, but we move on a little bit, and we're getting, into, we're getting a little more directly into the Carter Page stuff now. And so this is more, more Simpson. He can't get off of Simpson. Uh, more Simpson being talked to and, and lawyers for Fusion GPS uh, uh, intervening. And uh, they asked him if he told journalists, if Simpson told journalists when he gave the, the dossier to various uh, uh, organizations that it had been paid for as opposition research. Mm -hmm. And he said he didn't. Okay, so... Yeah, Does it that, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter. But we get this this line here about Simpson that, quote, he seemed to have formed the opinion that Carter Page's speech in Moscow constituted a sordid element of the conspiracy, even though it was perfectly legal and fairly innocuous. The fact that Page had earlier been sought up as a witness in a Russian spy ring case appeared to have reinforced Simpson imp Simpson's impression of potential criminal conduct. That conduct, seems bad. As it should. It yeah. should. It absolutely should. And the rebuttal that Jared has to that is, whoa, 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 whoa. Page was only being targeted by Russian operatives to be turned into a source for them. That's what happened. Yeah. Get, so why yeah. would you why would I, you think there's anything weird going on? Literally compromat is like this is a thing <laughs> that happens to people all the time. It was a big thing during the USSR. You may have heard of it. Again, really backs up the theory of burn after reading for for Yes, I agree with you. Which I'm, is I'm essentially it, it, by the way what I will be doing with this book. <laughs> that would be the best way to dispose of this piece of trash. <laughs> but we get then, this is the next crazy line that almost immediately follows that last one. Although Simpson had no real proof of, of Trump-Russia collaboration, which we do have now thanks to the, the Mueller report, he testified that he thought Donald Trump Jr.'s meeting with a Russian lawyer in Trump Tower in June 2016 was a form of corroboration, even though no one in the media discovered the meeting for at least another year. Well, it was, though. It yeah. was corroborating. <laughs> oh, no one knew thing. about it when he knew about it. So, uh, what? Yes. <laughs> Great and argument, man. We then move on to smearing Fusion GPS, uh, where the, the right wing has created this 
we they have reworked the backgrounds for all these organizations into these nefarious evil organizations that are just as they liberal commie do. socialists as they always do yes and he cites an opinion piece he cites an opinion piece in saying that there was testimony from others who claimed that they too had been victimized by dossiers containing false information and carefully placed slanderous news items from an opinion piece of course and then he cites this second opinion piece by the same author Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal. Oh, is that the one that Trump said should get a Pulitzer? Yeah. Yesterday, yeah. The opinion writer. The opinion yeah. writer. She writes opinion pieces. She's well, not I mean, a that's journalist. that's fine. You can get a Pulitzer for opinion pieces if they're right. grounded in fact but, enough. But. but but they're not. That That's the problem. Uh, but he cites this piece called The Fusion Collusion. Uh, she's... <laughs> He says, she took aim not just at the firm, but at the Democratic Party, whose most powerful members have made protecting fusion secrets their highest priority. I kind of doubt that protecting fusion GPS, a opposition research firm, yeah, it seems, has become seems, seems anyone's right. highest priority here. But this is going to carry over because we now get the turn. We get the turn where it wasn't Donald Trump who colluded. It was the Democrats who colluded. The Democrats, you know it. You knew it was coming. Yes, of course. Because uh, as we all know, as we all know, because what really happened was that a spy got information from Russian sources. That's colluding with Russia in the eyes of these people who have claimed now after the Mueller report has come out that actually giving information and taking information from Russian sources to use directly against Hillary Clinton is not collusion. Wow, this is logically just <laughs> not working too well for me here. No, it's not going great. So we move on a little bit, and we get uh, this. I loved this part where he cites the Nunes memo without telling you that he's citing the Nunes memo. He does cite it. He puts in a footnote, but he doesn't tell you that he's citing the Nunes memo when he really should. But we get this. We get this. This is where where we get some real crazy coming in. We get this conspiracy theory. This is a good chapter for that. Oh yeah, we get a lot crazy. of conspiracy theories here. First, the first conspiracy theory we get in this chapter that Fusion GPS was paying journalists to publish stories, which has been widely debunked. Not something by journalists else. would ever do either. No, so it's, like been, it's been widely journalistic code of ethics. They were paying journalists for information. It's the other way around because that's what they do. Fusion GPS was about gathering information. That's what they did. So they were getting information from people. But the next conspiracy theory we get into, which is fantastic and I love because I did a little I did a little background looking and this goes down a great crazy rabbit hole, is that Bruce Orr, who worked in the Department of Justice, uh, his wife, Nellie Orr, was a paid employee of Fusion GPS who, quote, wrote extensively about Russian topics. According to the, and according to the House Intelligence Committee, and this is where they are citing the Nunes memo, she provided opposition research on Trump in collaboration with Steele's dossier. Now, I looked into who Nellie Orr, I, I hadn't heard of Nellie Orr. I didn't know anything about her. Uh-huh. She has a conservapedia page. Oh. Which is great. It's great. It's great because the first thing listed on her page is she's a Ukrainian Holocaust denier. Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. Love that. And if you follow that rabbit hole, it takes you to an article on The Spectator, which is this, I don't know, it's got to be 8,000 words, almost 10,000 words maybe, insane screed of conspiracy and screaming socialism 
craziness. It is absolutely insane. It's beautiful, and I love it, and everyone should read it. Because it actually contains this line, which is, Like me, most readers unencumbered by a Ph.D., will not immediately understand the term's profound significance because Miss Orr is a Ph.D. historian from Stanford uh, who follows the revisionist school of history, which is, is a technical term, has very technical meanings within history, which the person who wrote this article doesn't understand in the tiniest bit, does not nearly fucking understand. So he takes, like, the excerpt from her thesis... Uh-huh. And uses just just crazy crazy interpretation of things he could not possibly hope to understand to say, look, she doesn't believe in the Holocaust. She doesn't believe that Stalin killed Ukrainians when she's writing about decoulogization and how it, it's just insane. It's insane. So she's not a Holocaust denier then. No, she is in fact not a Holocaust okay. denier. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but look. I recommend to everyone, go take a look at Conservapedia every now and then if you really want a good laugh. It is fantastic. Uh, but yes, we get this conspiracy theory that Bruce Orr and his wife were secretly in on all of this and were funneling information from Fusion GPS to the DOJ and using that to start the Trump-Russia investigation, none of which is even nearly true. Some of these allegations were included in the Nunes memo, but have, of course, been thoroughly debunked, uh, especially, and, and this is the thing that uh, I don't think anyone would find surprising, this book was released after the Carter Page FISA warrant applications were released, which debunked most of the Nunes memo. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, yeah, Jarrett did not feel that he had to go back no to revisions. revise this chapter in the slightest. In the slightest. No revisions. No, why would he? So he complains, oh, no, they didn't talk about, they didn't tell anyone that they had this conflict of interest at all. And and then the Department of Justice, they didn't tell anyone when they demoted him, Why? In, which happened in December 2017 when it was the Trump <laughs> Department of Justice. Yep. LOL. Um, LOL. <laughs> well, this, I don't think I, you've ever said that out loud before. I'm just, lo- there is so much craziness in this chapter. It really is fantastic. Because we are in the meat of conspiracy theory bullshit. When I tried to Google... All this stuff, the only kind of places that came up. Seriously, uh, you know, usually that first page, I'll get things like Daily Caller. I'll get yeah. Washington Examiner. But when I Google these things, it's giving me InfoWars. Oh, it's no. giving me WorldNet Daily. It's oh, giving no. me the crazy rat hole where all this insanity really comes from. Yeah, that's aggressive. So we get next the continuing turn to it was the Democrats who really colluded. The, the Dinesh school of thought. Yes, Dine- Dineshist Dinesh. history. <laughs> uh, if we had like a liberalpedia, we would need to have some. We would need a page for. Wait, that's just Wikipedia. That's just Wikipedia because because yeah. the truth the truth leans liberal, unfortunately for yep. them. Uh, so we get this continuing turn towards it was the Democrats who colluded, and so we get this uh, this quote from Ned Ryan, uh, who wrote a column for the Hill and a. Another opinion piece, of course, which says, quote, given Fusion GPS's dependence on Russian gossip spread by Vladimir Putin's spies, there is a good case to be made that Fusion GPS more deeply colluded with the Russians than anyone else. Although that's not what collusion means. It wasn't what we meant when we talked about it with Donald Trump. It's not even what it means colloquially. If you take something (laughs) passively without actively working with someone else, it's not even close to what the word means. And then he can, genuine, Jarrett continues in his, in his own words, 
But there is substantial evidence that Clinton and the Democrats colluded with Simpson, Fusion GPS, and Christopher Steele, a foreign national, to influence colluded the election. Colluded with the British. They colluded Trump. with the British. <laughs> yeah, they colluded by paying their lawyers to hire Fusion GPS, who then paid Christopher Steele, which is completely legal because you can pay foreign nationals for services involved in elections. You just can't take them from them without paying because that's what violates campaign finance laws. I know I'm explaining this too much and too yep. clearly for it's Greg too, Jarrett it's to too diff- You're being too clear. It's too crystal clear. But we get now we get the, the nice... Would you like to read the explanation of how this all went down? The distilled to its, etsen- its yes, essence? Yes, I would. Distilled to its essence, the scam works like this. Clinton's campaign paid Simpson. Uh, paid hold on a Steel. second. Hold on a second. First off, no, it was the DNC. You got that right. wrong right off the bat. All right, cool. Uh, who paid Steele? Uh, no, hold on, hold on. No, you got to back up because they didn't pay Simpson. They paid their law firm, which was Perkins Coie, who okay. then hired Fusion GPS, which Simpson owns. So should I go back to Clinton's campaign or paid Simpson? That's where we got it. So yeah, let's go there. Let's go there. Okay, let's go there. so the DNC paid Simpson's Coie. No, paid paid Perkins Coie. Perkins Coie, who. Okay, and then well, it you're, says, you're reading what Jared says. You so read what Jared Simpson. says. Okay, so Clinton's campaign paid Simpson, all wrong. Who paid Steele? I guess, right? That's No, because right. actually, yeah, Steele, okay. well, they paid Steele's firm, which okay. I mean, I guess if you're being colloquial, you can say it that way. Okay. But, you know, whatever. Okay, who allegedly got information from Moscow? Anything wrong with that? From Moscow or from yeah. his sources? From I don't his, know. Yeah, from Fine. Moscow implies from the Kremlin. We, we've established that Jared it, yeah. Snowball has concluded that it was all from directly from Moscow yep. because, of course, the Democrats are colluding. Yep, intended to damage Trump. Eh, kind of, I guess. I mean, it was opposition research. It, sure. it just happens that Donald Trump's a terrible person and information out there damns him. So, yeah. Okay. And help Clinton. Mm-hmm. Not really, just to damage Trump. Originally, mm-hmm. this was to damage Trump, not help Clinton. Okay. Then the uh, next, do the next. Do you want one. me to keep doing it? Oh, the rest then, of the paragraph. Then the FBI and the Justice Department exploited the dubious information as and, a pretext. Well, no, not no? really, because okay. they it was based off the Papadopoulos stuff. That's what actually started yep. this. I mean, when they did they did use the dossier foreign, because foreign it had information yeah. in it. But yeah, c- continue, continue. Okay, uh, exploited the dubious information as a pretense to open an investigation of Trump. While the media ran with their stories intended to bring down the new president. Well, you mean reporting factual information about what a terrible human being Donald Trump is. But I get it. It's shorthand. The government abused its powers and the press was shamefully complicit. That seems like a no and a no. <laughs> I, the end there. I didn't Google it, but that's I feel no. like that's two, no, two hard no's at the end of that. That's an absolute no. Yeah. And then we get another paragraph, two after that, on the next page, which is... Almost just as wrong as that one, where he's and again the, these these last two paragraphs that one we just read there are no there are no citations in that entire paragraph oh no none whatsoever not, not a single uh, one and then we get the next the final paragraph of that subsection also which, with no citations also with no citations which says quote the chronology of events demonstrates that the fictitious dossier was the pretext for the FBI's probe of Trump not Papadopoulos's so-called bar talk. Steele composed the first memo alleging Trump-Russia collusion on June 20th, then met with the FBI on July 5th. On July 31st, the investigation of Trump was formally opened. Only thereafter, on August 2nd, did FBI agents meet with the Australian diplomat to gather information about Papadopoulos. What that leaves out, rather crucially, is that the Australians forwarded information about that meeting with Papadopoulos the day it happened to the United States, which was, I believe, in May. I believe it was in May or June that they forwarded that information to the FBI. 
Yeah. So, so when did the when did the FISA warrants happen? The FISA warrants happened uh, shortly before July 31st. I believe it was the 29th. The 29th, the FISA applications happened. Okay. So we get the next subsection, which is titled The Spy Game. Starting off with, Carter Page was never charged with any crime. The reason is quite simple. He did nothing wrong. Ah! He opened his mouth. He has opened his mouth, and that is definitely a wrong thing for Carter Page to do. Also, it seems like he might not be out of the woods yet. No, we have 12 other people who have been criminally referred. Yeah. We don't know anything about those cases yet. <laughs> so right. it's very possible that Carter Page will be charged with a crime. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying it's possible that it'll happen. But we get fast forward to 2016. The FBI learned that Page had been named to the Trump Foreign Policy Council, newly armed with the dossier that identified Page as participating in a fictitious meeting with Russians while delivering his speech in Moscow, bureau agents had the perfect excuse to begin spying on Trump and his campaign by seeking a FISA warrant to wiretap Page's phones in October and gain access to his stored communications. Now, the problem with that entire paragraph is that it's just completely bullshit. Right, we just talked about a moment ago how it was, in fact, yes, based on the George Papadopoulos stuff. And yes, they did use the dossier information in FISA applications, but that was just more information that they had on top of the main thing, which was George Papadopoulos admittedly and has said on the record and on cable (laughs) news shows where he should have shut his goddamn mouth that he told the Australian ambassador that Russia had this information. Everyone on cable news shows should shut their mouths, to be fair. Honestly, I I can agree with that. I can agree with that all the way. But then we get into this this whole section, which is relying on the Nunes memo. And this this is probably, I think, my favorite part because it it contains so much information that's just patently false and that Greg Jarrett knew was patently false when he published this book. Uh, He starts off by saying, A majority of the House Intelligence Committee later concluded that the endeavor required sleight-of-hand trickery by the FBI and the Justice Department to gain the court's permission. Uh, And then we get to this subsection called the House Intelligence Committee Memo. That is the Nunes Memo. And that apparently is where we're going to learn what that House Investigative Committee learned (laughs) about all that trickery that was going on. Lies and scandal. The camouflaging of partisan motives is the way that Greg Jarrett describes it. And we have here a series of bullet points, which are basically just the paragraphs of the Nunes memo, which he has summarized. Yeah, could be the titles of the paragraphs of the Nunes memo, yeah. Right, so let's go through a few of them uh, and see how these stack up with what we know now and what Jarrett knew when he published this book if he had bothered to, I don't know, Google? Google. He can Google. Uh, So starting off with, FBI Director... Andrew McCabe testified that no surveillance warrant would have been sought from the FISC without the Steele dossier information. That was countered by the Democrats in their rebuttal memo, which said that that the Nunes memo was vastly mischaracterizing what Andrew McCabe said in his testimony. Next one, Steele's bias was recorded in FBI files, but not reflected in any of the warrant applications presented to the court. Eh, patently false. It was, in fact, reflected directly that Christopher Steele was working for the DNC through Fusion GPS and all these other chain of links. It was, uh, which, of course, he would know if he had bothered to read the FISA warrants. (laughs) It's there. And, you know, I remember when these came out, Republicans were saying, well, it was only in a footnote. You know who reads footnotes? 
Lawyers read footnotes. We always read the footnotes. And if Jarrett had remembered that he was a lawyer, maybe he would have read the footnotes. Uh, we get we next get that uh, uh, the FBI assessed the dossier as only minimally corroborated. Yes, that's why they were trying to corroborate it. Yeah, that's sort of also how you even do if that. it's only minimally corroborated, it is still somewhat corroborated. Mm-hmm. So then you can look further into it and find where things weren't corroborated or why they weren't corroborated or what information is true and what's not true. That's what an investigation is for. Typically. Uh, The next one, the dossier was funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC. Yes. Yes, it was. We all know that. Good point, Jarrett. It doesn't mean anything. As we talked about before, that's the genetic fallacy. You can't say something's false because of where it came from. Next... None of the surveillance warrant applications disclosed this funding, even though the political origins were then known to senior DOJ and FBI officials. That, again, as I just mentioned, is patently false. (laughs) It was there. It was in the footnote. Next, the FBI and DOJ cited a Yahoo News story about Page to support the warrant application without disclosing that it came from the same source as the dossier, Steele. They did cite that Yahoo News page. You know what they cited it for? They cited it for Carter Page's response on the record to what was said about what he did. That's what they cited it for. Okay. (laughs) That seems fine then. Yes. They just cited words that came out of Carter Page's mouth and linked to a Yahoo News story saying, look, yep, here's here's him saying it. Here it is. Um, Next, Steele was terminated by the FBI because he lied to the Bureau about his contacts with the media and disclosure of information. No, that's just false. That's just false. I don't have anything else beyond, oh, that's just false. That's, that's okay. all I have for that all right. one. Cool, 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 cool. And then FBI Director James Comey briefed President-elect Trump on the dossier at a time when he knew it was, quote, salacious and unverified. And Didn't this, they say there were some salacious and unverified things in the dossier? This is where, yes, we have James Comey's notes from that meeting with Donald Trump. Uh, that say, well, yeah, I said that the P-tape part was salacious and unverified. I didn't yeah. say that about the other stuff. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then and then Jarrett says, despite all of this, the FBI and DOJ used it anyway, deceiving the court by actively withholding or obscuring every bit of vital information, which no, no, they didn't. And Jarrett, these FISA warrant applications were released before you published this book, bud. Lazy. You really could have checked. Lazy. You- could have taken the five minutes. Uh, and so the last page before we end, and, and I said it before, that the next half of this chapter is going to be for patrons only, but the last page before we end has this little tidbit, which I enjoyed right here, which was, the House Intelligence Committee's evisceration of the original FISA application demonstrates that the judge who approved the initial warrant, had he known the truth, would surely have rejected the government's request to spy on Page because the application was based substantially on faulty evidence submitted to the court and FISA procedures were ignored. I just have to say, as a side note, no, no, FISA judges approve everything. They just approve everything. They hardly ever deny a warrant. Really? Yeah, it's a look. We can get into the problems with FISA judges and how they are. They hardly ever uh, re- refuse anything. At the most, what they typically do is they say, "No, you need to redo this request and you need to narrow the scope." That's typically what they do. But in the last thirty years of FISA warrants, I want to say the figure I've seen is that they've denied of uh, of, of around fifteen thousand or something warrants that they've gotten. 
requests that they've gotten, they, or maybe it was 29,000 they've gotten, they've denied like 108 or something like that. Okay. And they've had like 500 they've sent back and said rewrite and, and you know, get better right, information, yeah, yeah. Or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, look, n- no, they wouldn't have denied this, especially since there was good information. He, he conveniently leaves out the fact that they have Papadopoulos saying this information that they know that there's all this activity around Carter Page, that Carter Page had been subject to a Russian spy ring trying to recruit him in the past. All of that (laughs) leads to this very clear reason for issuing the FISA warrant. It just very clearly does. (laughs) But as I always do, I will read the last paragraph of this, uh, well, this half of the chapter before we go to the patrons only, which is, quote, it did not end there. When Trump fired Comey, it was Rosenstein who appointed Comey's good friend and former colleague Robert Mueller as special counsel to investigate Trump. He, they always misspell former FBI director as well. Uh, these all too <laughs> cozy re- former FBI director, right? right? right. Yeah. These all too cozy relationships solidified amid arguably corrupt acts. You're making the argument, Greg. So I mean, whatever. Served as the underpinnings of the case against the president. Such egregious conduct by high government officials was anathema to fairness and justice. The end of the first half of Chapter 7 of the Russia hoax. And I got to say, the one thing that sticks out through me to all of that is that they are, they're, they're, we've, we've talked about the snowball, right? We've talked about my snowball plenty of times. And this chapter, this chapter more than anything else shows how the snowball is coming together. Because the previous chapters, right, have had no verified reason to believe the claims that the dossier was the reason the investigation started, that all all this stuff about uh, Christopher Steele and all the other stuff. But by the time we get here, the reader is supposed to forget that all those were based on inferences, that they were just Jarrett saying, well, you can logically conclude that X. And now it is gospel truth. And now we know that this is how it happened. And that's how we got here. Yeah. Did we it's learn a bad anything? Book. It's, it's a bad, a bad book, book, Kevin. It's a bad book. It's a bad <laughs> argument. And I think I should take the LSAT because clearly Greg Jarrett <laughs> passed it, so maybe I will. If Greg Jarrett... I've been trying to get Benedict to take the LSAT and see what kind of score he gets and see if he can become a lawyer in the United States. Because I, I am a naturally funny. brilliant person. So. And be- well, and because someday, right, when, when, uh, when I'm kicked out of whatever law firm I'm working for, uh, we can start up our own firm, right? That'll be great. It'll be fantastic. Kevin and Benedict Law. Great. <laughs> I'm very happy. This would no, it'll be uh the law firm the law firm of Kevin and Benedict. We have it. We have it figured out. Most people do last names. We do first names. Cuz you can and trust we- us. We're like your family. Yes. Grammar, this book club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.